Welcome to Manufacturing Talk Radio, your source for breaking news, business trends, and economic forecasts here and abroad that impact one-third of America's economy. And now your hosts, Lou Weiss and Tim Grady. Welcome, everyone, to Manufacturing Talk Radio. We're doing our global show today, and it's actually in two parts because we've got so much information to cover. So be sure that you listen to part one, and in a separate player will be part two. But before we get started on that, Lou, what's happening in New Jersey and all of the wonderful things in last week's show and next week's show and the news? There's so much I could do a whole show about last week's show, next week's show, (laughs) real news. I mean, it's just uh, exciting stuff that's going on. So why don't I just get right to it? Uh, Last week, we had Michael Wiles, managing partner of a leading immigration law firm, Wiles & Weinberg, a third-generation law firm in New York. And they talk about uh, immigration, uh, DACA, and how it affects uh, U.S. manufacturing. Uh, it's, uh, they're very passionate about uh, what they're doing and what they've been doing for three generations. Uh, it certainly is something that uh, is worthy to listen to. And they do talk about uh, our broken system. And uh, so why don't you take a listen to that? Also, uh, last week, and we're going to be doing our postscripts from now on with regards to women and manufacturing, otherwise known as WAM. Uh, It's a a, a show that's on Manufacturing Talk Radio. Uh, We are going to be breaking it apart, and we're going to to have its own uh, podcast uh, website. But for right now, it's on Manufacturing Talk Radio. Uh, Last week, we had uh, Karen Norheim from American Crane. Uh, Karen's a terrific role role model for other women and men in manufacturing. She's the executive vice president of American Crane and Equipment Corporation, and she oversees the successful day-to-day operation of almost a 200-person manufacturing company. She's going to be interviewed. uh, She was interviewed by ML Peck and Linda Regano. Uh, and, uh, you know, great story, great how she got to where she is. It's certainly worthwhile, and it's certainly uh, a, a situation where we have accomplished women interviewing accomplished women. Uh, that being said, going right to our news items, which uh, I could be on the show myself for about another hour, um, NASA, they fired off a rocket this week. Uh, last week, and uh, they had two major components that were 3D printed. The engine uh, blasted off. It passed all the NASA tests, and one of the interesting reasons and, and the, the benefit of using these parts is that one of the parts in itself had originally 78 welds. Now, if anybody knows anything about welding, sometimes welds don't go so well. And if you lose a weld, you could lose a rocket. Uh, So they had this part that was printed, 3D printed, no welds. The time to make it was a fraction of what, uh, what it normally would take to make those parts, and it was quite successful. They're now looking at seeing what other parts they could do the same thing with. And you could be sure that Aerojet, who produced the part, and NASA, 
who's uh, paying the tab, is being watched by other organizations like Boeing and uh, Lockheed and United Technology and General Electric and all the rest of the aerospace guys who are looking at every place that they could save a nickel and save a minute. So this is going to be a continuing growth situation for the 3D printing uh, industry. Um, Okay, next item. Uh, This is an exciting one, and Tim and I have been involved in this to some degree, uh, about Scott Garrett, uh, formerly a Republican from New Jersey until we threw him out, and he now is a candidate for uh, to be to fill the uh, quorum for XM Bank, um, our NAM organization, National Association of Manufacturers, uh, are uh, put in their two cents about it, and uh, they said that. Uh, let me just make sure I get the quote right. He is untrustworthy and unqualified to head XM Bank, and the vote is today. So be on the lookout for that. Uh, We don't want Scott Garrett in XM Bank. And XM Bank is very important for our export sales, which was good for our economy and good for your paycheck and good for the stock market and so on. So let your congressman know in the Senate Banking Committee, because they're the ones who uh, vote on him. He's untrustworthy and unqualified. I can't say it enough times. This is something that Tim and I have been talking about now for almost four years, and the Wall Street Journal uh, finally is doing something about it. And they have uh, been involved with manufacturing business around the country and are hosting Parents' Night to try and persuade parents of the benefits of careers in manufacturing for their children. The recruitment drive also reflects the high number of position manufacturers have opened due to low employment levels. My understanding is 700,000 jobs in manufacturing that are open and available. The general reports that the employers are appealing to parents by presenting how careers in manufacturing could be rewarding and will keep their children close to home, as well as saving them um, cost of college. There's also another point about that, that 40% of the kids that go to college, they spend $100,000, $200,000 and don't graduate. How would that make you feel, mom and dad? So the story is make sure that you look up uh, the parents' night somewhere in your location in this country and take advantage of this. It might save you a couple of bucks. All the reports that are coming out the last uh, couple of weeks, particularly since the beginning of December, have been uh, stating incredibly high optimism levels. The Institute of Supply Management has come out with great numbers for manufacturing from the month of November. NAM NAM has come out with their set of numbers. Uh, The FMA has come out with their set. MAPI has come out with their set. Everything is looking good. Uh, The survey that NAM did shows a 20-year high in this survey of 
optimism that manufacturers have. So this is really great. Uh, also, the McKinsey Global Institute, which everybody knows, um, their headline is Making Manufacturing Great Again Would Add $530 Billion to the GDP. That's amazing. And uh, this is all good for us. Everything that Tim and I are hearing is that 2018 is going to be a, a banner banner year. Uh, and they're already beginning to look at 19 and saying it could slip into 19, but as most economists would say, unless something happens. So that is something that we'll just have to live with and wait and see. Uh, I think that's, uh, like I said, Tim, I could go on on and on here today. Uh, with regards to the news items, a lot of exciting things. Everybody knows about it. Uh, it's in the news. If you're listening to, uh, whether you're listening to the left, right, or center, everything is really doing uh, very well. Uh, as Tim said, we do have a, a two-part series today. Um, Europe and uh, Asia is, uh, well, Asia is not doing as well as, but Europe is doing uh, pretty well. And I think Nash, uh, globally, I think that we have a 3.1 uh, uh, PMI number for the globe. So, uh, Tim, why don't we flip it over to you? Okay, and we'll get right to our international correspondence and Chad Moutre. Chad is the chief economist for the National Association of Manufacturers. He leads off our interviews, followed by Norbert Orr, who reports to us on 18 PMI surveys around the globe, plus several in the United States, like the Chicago and Dallas surveys, which are always very interesting. In part two, you'll hear from Royce Lowe, who is our EU and UK correspondent, followed by Chung Wang, who is our Asia correspondent. So let's get to Chad and Norbert. Well, welcome back to our next segment. Uh, we have um, the Chief uh, Economist uh, Chad Moutre of the National Association of Manufacturing, who's going to be talking to us about the um, these fourth quarter survey, which uh, I, I got to steal the line from him. It's a 20 year high survey that they haven't seen in two decades. So that being said, Chad, take it away. So. So Lou, you, you you make a great economist here. You you you, <laughs> I like I like that. So so yeah, we we go out once a quarter. We've been doing it since 1997, uh, and we had the highest number of optimism in this survey, the fourth quarter survey, than we've ever had in those 20 years. Uh, so 94.6% of our members right now are positive about their company's outlook. So. That's up from 89.8 uh, in the third quarter. And for the year as a whole, we've actually had pretty phenomenal optimism all year long. Uh, it's averaged 91.8, right? So we've never, had a, we've never had a year in terms of optimism like we've had in 2017. So uh, we can dig into some of the numbers behind that, but that, 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 that's a pretty impressive uh, numbers overall. I think, I think everybody's recuperating from the 2008 uh, Great Recession and finally yeah. want to feel good. I, I agree. I mean, it, it, it's pretty clear that uh, we're seeing the numbers turn, turning the corner, not just in the U.S., but elsewhere. Um, 
Although sure. I, I think you know certainly policy plays into these numbers. We we did a number of questions about tax reform uh, in, in the latest survey, and and, and you know you had about 64% of our members who said that uh, sorry I said that wrong. 63% of our members who said that if uh, if there was tax reform, they would uh, increase capital spending. Uh, 58% said they would expand their business, and 53% said they would hire more workers, right? So uh, I think tax reform certainly plays into uh, the optimism that we're seeing, especially in the, in the most recent data. Well, all, all that is uh, good uh, insight. The question, of course, is uh, in relation to hiring more people, where are they getting them from? They're already 700,000 people short in manufacturing. You 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 hit the nail on the head, Lou. I mean, uh, and we've we've talked about this many many times before. Uh, I think one right. of the other big talking points in this survey, beyond the all-time high kind of numbers, was the fact that uh, workforce was the number one problem. Um, sure. You know, in in the seven years that I've I've been at the NAM uh, and since I added this question, uh, it's always been healthcare or taxes or regulation that have dominated the top of that list. And and this this time the the, the biggest primary concern was attracting and retaining a quality workforce. So, uh, again, about 73% of our members said that 80%, almost 80% of them said that they are currently uh, struggling to find some talent. Um, And so that that really, I think, speaks to that tightening in the labor market that we've seen really all year long. Uh, This has been a situation that's going on now for a number of years. And uh, Tim Grady, my co-host, who's out on assignment uh, uh, for this show, uh, we've been hearing this, uh, you know, the skill set, uh, the skill gap issue, uh, the training issue, uh, the retirees, uh, 10,000 people a day retiring, the 4,000 people a day coming back into the workforce. There seems to be a deficit there. So with all this optimism, uh, we've been telling the st- story that uh, manufacturers have to think out of the box in terms of how and where to get new skilled semi-skilled or train uh people to be able to do the work that's uh, required I, I i agree and we actually ask a question on that very topic it's a good segue lou you didn't know i don't know if you knew that but it was a good segue one of the questions uh we asked was you know how, how are you how are you filling those positions given that you're struggling to find that you know that with that skills gap mm-hmm. uh, right. two-thirds of our members said that they're working their existing workforce more um 64.5 percent said they were creating or expanding their internal training programs right. uh 56.5 said they were collaborating with educators or on, on skills certification programs um Fifty-five percent said they were utilizing temporary staffing services. I mean, you get the idea. Yet about thirty-four point five said they were encouraging possible retirees to stay longer. Right. So, right. Uh, not right. only is it about recruitment, but it's about upskilling of your existing workforce. It's about keeping uh, possible retirees on board longer. Um, and, and again, that requires some creativity. One of the things that we have heard regarding that particular point is that uh, giving incentives to potential retirees to stay on and work a couple of hours extra to do actual training. And that's all they do. Uh, yeah. They don't do, they don't work the floor, but they work the training session. So what we're finding is that a lot of companies are having to really think out of the box and come up with new concepts that work for them. And all of that depends on 
the size of the company, the locale, the difficulty of the job, and so on. So we're hearing this uh, as well as you are. Yeah. Um, you know, back back to the to the overall economic data themselves. We had the best mm-hmm. numbers for sales and uh, capital spending expectations that we've seen in in six years since 2011. So, yeah. Um, I mean, it wasn't just that that headline optimism number. The the overall activity numbers were stronger too, mm-hmm. which, which was mm-hmm. nice. Well, we're we're seeing it. Uh, you know, where I draw my my usual combat pay at All Metals and Forge Group. Uh, we also have been seeing a tremendous increase in the last uh, five months, uh, particularly within the last 60 days. So we're yeah. looking very uh, optimistically for uh, 2018. So uh, yeah. are, are you in a position to give us any uh, forecast uh, going forward? Sure, sure, sure. So we're my forecast for the quarter that we're in right now, so that's the fourth quarter, uh, it's for three and a half percent growth. Uh, I think right. that we're, we've just had really strong data for retail sales uh, and, and, and just overall business environment activity, as we noted, has it's been pretty strong. Uh, mm-hmm. And if that's the case, we will have had three straight quarters of three percent or more percent growth. Uh, so that's that's pretty encouraging. Uh, my forecast for the year for 2017 overall is for just 2.3 percent, but that's largely because we had only 1.2 percent growth in the first quarter. Um, All right. For next year, uh, you know, officially I have a forecast of of 2.8 percent for 2018, but uh, but I, I think that there's upward potential there, especially if we get tax reform, especially if we get uh, an infrastructure package, and a lot of these other trends continue. I, I think that three percent is definitely doable. Uh, I would if, think if so, it would be the first year that we have a three a three handle in front of our GP, GDP number since 2005. So that would that that is quite a milestone if we can get it. I would think so. And uh, the new administration, they're talking uh, a bit over optimistically, I think, at uh, 4% plus. So I I don't see that happening. But uh, to see a solid three, that's gold. Yeah, and let's stick, let's let's get three before we start getting getting ahead of ourselves. <laughs> I got it. I got it. Uh, so, uh, are you looking at uh, January, February as a continuation of our uh, November and what December is beginning to look like? I mean, we almost always have a bit of a slower first quarter than the rest of the year. I, I suspect that Correct. that trend will continue. Um, I don't know if it. Uh, hopefully, it's better than the 1.2 we had last year. Uh, my mm-hmm. forecast is for two. Um, uh, although we'll see where that where that number goes. Hopefully, it's north of there. Um, and, and 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 certainly tax reform, I think, could help with that. Uh, but for the you know for the but in general, I think the trends we've seen so far this year are going to continue into next year. Um, uh, I mentioned that this, this, these trends are not just in the U.S. Uh, we got new data for for Europe, uh, the European. PMI numbers, purchasing managers index numbers, were sure. were the best in 20 years as well. That came out mm-hmm. from IHS mm-hmm. market. So um, mm-hmm. uh, these trends are are, are happening in, uh, around the world, and that's 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 what makes them a little bit more encouraging. Is it's not just kind of a fluke here in the U.S. Uh, I heard recently within the last 24, 48 hours that the global economy is at something like three point something plus uh, as of now. Uh, which is really quite incredible. Yeah, it it is. I mean, obviously you have um, 
the emerging markets that are growing faster than that and the developed mm-hmm. countries that aren't. Uh, but, but yeah, those numbers are the best we've seen in a few years. So that's, that's, that's pretty promising. I mean, I mean, even Brazil is at 53.5 for the month of November. You know, they haven't well, seen, seen, the, yeah. they haven't seen we, a we, 53 number in a long time. Well, we're seeing Brazil uh, emerge from a really, really deep recession over the last couple of years. So that's that's what you're seeing happening right. happening down there. Correct, correct. So, uh, what's the story with uh, from your uh, position? What's the story that you see in the eurozone and UK in terms of uh, uh, Brexit? Is that going to be a factor at all coming this next well, year, or I is mean, it a non-issue? Uh, it, it, there's going to be an issue there. Obviously, I think that, that the, the Brexit negotiations, the Brexit uncertainty is going to continue. I wouldn't be surprised to see the pound uh, decline a little bit. Um, I'm actually mm-hmm. traveling to the U.K. next year on vacation, so that's encouraging for me. Uh, but I, I think you know the longer-term picture, and I think we've talked about this before, is you know uh, the U.K. needs Europe. Europe needs the U.K. We need both of those. They're important markets for us. Uh, sure. Uh, the UK is our fifth largest trading partner. Uh, Germany is our, our, our sixth. Um, so uh, we we want them all to, to succeed. Um, and so I, I think in the in the end that's going to really prevail is is that that they need each other. Um, mm-hmm. But but they're mm-hmm. going to be you know there's going to be lots of hardball and a lot of rhetoric uh, getting to where they need to get to. Uh, here in the U.S., our export numbers have uh, seemingly also uh, increased this year. And uh, that that certainly would make a a big difference in terms of our total overall uh, dollars and our uh, balance of payments and so on. Um, The U.S. had uh, the disc corporation uh, back in the 80s, which was a a real big, 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 big win for manufacturers uh, where they got 100 percent tax forgiveness. Uh, they have a significantly less now. I think it's only about an 80, uh, 20% forgiveness. Uh, what do you see in terms of a uh, significant export incentive for American manufacturers? Is that something that's well, on the playing field? Uh, I mean, I, I don't know from a policy perspective what, what's what's being considered along uh, along those lines, I do know, mm-hmm. I know what, what you what you had suggested earlier. Then that, that is that we've had roughly four percent increase in exports this year, U.S. manufactured good exports this year. Uh, they were down in each of the last two years. Mm-hmm. Um, to put that number in perspective, we had an all-time high in 2014, so we've come off of that high a little bit, but but at least we're moving in the right direction now. Finally, sure. um, right, right. you know the the big the big issue from a policy standpoint. Um, is that uh, the NAM and certainly all manufacturers are really closely following the NAFTA negotiations. They're closely following what's, happen- what's happening on trade in general. Uh, that certainly is creating a little bit of uncertainty, I think, for, for many folks. Uh, sure. Uh, and, and noting that Canada and Mexico are, are, um, are, are you know, they, we sell more to those two countries than the next top ten combined. So uh, that's that certainly is, I think, uh, one of the more pressing issues, I think, from from a policy standpoint, uh, I happen to sit amongst the trade lobbyists here, and and they're they're breathing, living and breathing NAFTA all the time, right? And I right. think that, that that will certainly uh, that that's going to really dominate the overall conversation uh, for the first quarter of 2018. Uh, meanwhile, uh, from my perspective as a manufacturer and a part-time radio host. Uh, NAFTA has been good for this country. 
I, I agree. I agree. I yeah. mean, uh, uh, Canada and Mexico have been excellent trading partners. We've seen yeah. our overall trade with those countries increase pretty substantially. And, mm-hmm. and uh, um, you know, clearly the, the, the sector has changed dramatically uh, since 1994. Um, but we can't lay all of that on, on trade, at least in my view. Sure, no, I, I agree with yeah. that. But uh, Canada is now beginning to pick up also in their economy. Uh, they're at, uh, I think their ISM was something like 54.4 in November. Uh, they've been trailing uh, somewhat behind the U.S. for a while, but you know yeah. the way the U.S. goes is the way Canada goes ultimately. Yeah, you know where we saw weakness in Canada was much like we saw weakness in 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 the Texas that you know the Dallas Fed survey. It's all mm-hmm. energy related, um, and, and sure. Alberta and British Columbia are important uh, markets for them in terms of energy. And so we saw some weakness there, primarily energy related. Um, but as mm-hmm. energy is as stabilized, Canada has stabilized. Meanwhile, in the Midwest, the uh, the the ISM in Chicago is uh, just going through the roof at uh, yeah. 63, 63 point something plus. Uh, that Midwest is uh, that Rust Belt is getting a little less rusty. <laughs> uh, I think you know all. I agree. I agree with that. Uh, I I was just in the Midwest, and so I I agree. Uh, and I think you know, that really speaks, I think, to why so many of our members are upbeat right now is that the you know overall demand and production and employment have tightened pretty mm-hmm. significantly. You have mm-hmm. uh, demand and uh, you know the, the the overall new orders and, and output measures from ISM have been over 60 for much of the last few months, and you have hiring the employment figure close to 60 really for the, each of the last two months. So, yeah, uh, again, those are all great measures for us in terms of overall health. So we're all looking pretty. Uh pretty healthy for the end of the year and going into the uh, the beginning of the new year, even though the first quarter generally weakens. But uh, I, back in 2014, uh, we personally, All Metals and Forge, we had the strongest month that we ever had in December, which is generally not a great month because it's only two weeks long. Um, and uh, it just flowed right into January of 2014, and we were just uh, cooking with steam at that time. Um, yeah, I yeah. Could, I'm almost projecting that we could see a strong January. I, I don't know what February and March is going to look like, but from the uh, our, our sales sales uh, desk, uh, we're hearing all kinds of stories uh, of uh, projects coming to fruition uh, within the next 30 days. So uh, we're quite excited about it. Yeah, that's great. That's great news. I like to hear that. Um, yeah. Whenever I travel, I, I always ask the, the clicheish question, how's business? And so it's, it's good it's good <laughs> that I'm hearing a lot of, of good news lately as I travel around. Uh, yeah, no one's slitting their wrists or jumping off the window ledge. <laughs> and I'm, I'm not depressing everyone every Monday like I was for a while <laughs> there with my Monday economic report. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, well, it's uh, it's something that uh, you can benefit from by giving everybody good news. Uh, yeah. Chad, is there anything as we uh, wrap up this segment that uh, you would like to add to uh, what we've already discussed? Well, I, I hope everyone has a great holiday um, uh, coming up here and, and hopefully a great new 2018. Uh, hopefully everything we say is right, right? That, uh, well, we'll in the next year. And- we, we, we certainly hope so. And just to throw in a plug for ourselves, 
uh, Tim Grady and I are going to be doing uh, a year-end wrap-up and talk about um, we're not going to have any guests on. We're going to just uh, jolly it up a bit about what's happened over this past year and uh, new information about uh, technology and finance and marketing and so on. So we do this as a year-end wrap-up and lead right into January, and we hope for some great numbers from uh, ISM and NAM and uh, uh, you know, all the rest of uh, the, the prognosticators uh, for a good beginning of the year. And I wish great. you the same uh, good holiday and uh, hope to be hearing uh, you next month. And uh, unless where are you going to? When are you going on vacation? Uh, I'll I'll be going away for the holidays like a lot of other folks, but I'll be back bright uh, bright and cheery in, in 2018. <laughs> okay, great. Well, we look forward to having you on the show again as usual, and I thank you. And uh, I, I would like to just mention that if you want more information uh, related to our discussion here or any information that Nam has available to uh, contact uh, it's it is nam.org or is it national association of manufacturing.org it is nam.org you're right okay very good uh chad thank you very much for your time i appreciate you being on the show well i'm back uh, the next segment of our uh, global show and uh, i have uh, norbert Orr who is the director and head of uh, industry surveys for strategic research partners uh, welcome aboard, Norbert. Thank you. Always good to be with you. Yeah, I love having you here. As you, as I mentioned to you uh, prior to the show, uh, Tim Grady is not on the uh, show today. He's out on uh, location, and uh, so I'm flying low. And uh, so take it easy on me. Okay. So, well, so, fortunately, it's so a good he, message. You, he, Tim can't blame you for ruining the economy or anything. Like no, I, no, I, he can't blame me for that. <laughs> So here we go. Uh, tell us what's going on in the 18 uh, markets that you uh, report on. Well, uh, each month we talk about the uh, the 18 markets, uh, Lou, that uh, that I follow and have followed for a number of years now, and they're kind of my hand-picked markets uh, for different reasons. Uh, uh, I may be attracted to them. Uh, Brazil, for instance, pretty much represents South America. You don't have to go a lot deeper right. than, than than that. Um, then uh, Taiwan is a great indicator for semiconductor industry, uh, and uh, and some to some degree for Asia, though it typically has been doing better in recent years. Uh, and so, if if the index is above 50, uh, then that in, that uh, economy is considered to be growing. Their PMI uh, index is sh- showing growth, and uh, the growth can be uh, small, it can be large, uh, but the way to think of it is if the index is at 55, that's 10% better than the month before because 50 would be the month bef- would represent the month before right. additional 5 points would give you uh, 10% growth month over month which is is really quite extraordinary and um, sure is. so then when you get to 60 uh you're you're now talking 20% month over month growth in terms of those that see their business as being better and half of those who see theirs as being the same 
So mm-hmm. uh, it's a good indicator as to the uh, degree of activity that's going on uh, in those various areas. So when you hear me uh, give you a, a, an index number, you can tell a degree about the strength of it and the amount of expansion that's coming in in the economy. Uh, as I said, there's 18 countries or 18 indexes. Some of it is countries, some of it is uh, we've got a couple of regional things in the United States, but collectively they're the ones that uh, that I have confidence in. This mm-hmm. month we have all 18 of those indices reporting growth. So all of them are above 50. Yeah, some uh, amazing, really some amazing numbers. Yeah, that, that's One, something to get ex, get excited about. Absolutely. Uh, e- even, even, and you did mention Brazil. I mean, Brazil at 53 and a half, I believe it is, is really a staggering number considering that they've been uh, in, in virtually in the economic toilet for so long. Uh, and that's absolutely the case. And, and Brazil has struggled. Brazil will see struggles in the future. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's not that they're uh, out of it uh, completely, but uh, for right now, uh, that's a, a real move forward for Brazil. That's now, let's see how many months. Uh, that's now. One, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine, nine consecutive months of, uh, at 50 or higher. Now it's it's it has really uh, stayed right around the midpoint, so it's not a huge amount of growth. But compared to the nine months before that, when it didn't report record any growth at all, it's certainly right. a strong performance you know, Absol- that we're seeing. Absolutely, absolutely. Um, Asia is a little bit of a mixed bag. Uh, there's two surveys in China. Uh, one I helped uh, help them develop, which is the official China survey, and mm-hmm. um, it came in at 51.8. Uh, that uh, they would contend, the Chinese would contend that that represents about six percent growth in GDP. Mm-hmm. Uh, but their economy is so large, so. Uh, decentralized in so many ways that uh, I, I think it's hard to, to have a lot of confidence. Uh, the other thing that bothers me is the, the China survey, the CFLP survey, doesn't move very much. It, it, it doesn't have very much variability, which is normal in most economies, that you do have a, a high degree of variability uh, that enters into it. But uh, China doesn't seem to have that. Uh, I worry sometimes about uh, the quality of their responses that they're getting mm-hmm. from that. Uh, Taiwan right. is one one of my favorites. In fact, I'm, I'm leaving for Taipei on Saturday. Uh, uh, Taiwan is at 57.2, down from 57.7, down from 58.7, down from 58.8. Everything's right in that range, very strong. And it's a really strong indication as to what's happening in the semiconductor industry because uh, Taiwan's economy is driven by that uh, that industry. Correct, correct. You have a, a couple of uh, regionals that I would like to uh, talk about, regional here in the U.S. 
uh, considering that we've come out of a, uh, you know, a, a long and ugly uh, recessionary period in, uh, from 2008 and a slow, slow recovery. And I'm seeing things like the uh, ISM for the Chicago region at uh, 63.9, which is really unsustainable and really a great number. Uh, and then you also have Texas at 55 point something. And uh, these are very strong, important areas for the country. Yeah. Uh, Chicago has been uh, at a very high level for quite some time. It's at 63.9 this month, but that's down mm-hmm. from 66.2. Uh, right. One of the things that throws me off about Chicago is it's almost always an outlier. When we put uh, these 18 surveys on a scatter plot, uh, everything tends to bunch up somewhat, except for Chicago, which tends to be way out on its own. And that Mm -hmm. could be that it's going up more rapidly than the rest of, of the indexes, or it could be going down more rapidly. Right. the rest of the indexes. One of the issues is Chicago combines manufacturing and non-manufacturing. Ah, so it's not a pure look at manufacturing. Uh, it, it could be, you know, the makeup of their panel may favor the non-manufacturing sector and uh, and, and be more in tune with growth. But mm-hmm. uh, anytime uh, in a data set something looks strange because it keeps uh, showing up as an outlier, there's mm-hmm. always a, always a reason for it. You may not be able to figure it out, but there, there's a reason for it, uh, which says that they're probably not anywhere near as good as the report makes them look. Got it. Got it. So a couple, let's talk a couple of, of the others. Yeah. You know, interesting if I can continue kind of on the Chicago. Sure. Well, while I'm in the region, uh, I'm a big fan of the Milwaukee survey. Uh, mm-hmm. Even though it's only 90 miles away from Chicago, uh, it's like another world uh, in <laughs> terms of industry. And uh, Milwaukee is uh, the home of many companies. Uh, either their home office or major divisions, headquarters in Milwaukee uh, that are in durable goods. Mm-hmm. And uh, we divide uh, products into durables and non-durables. Uh, in the durables category, that's usually somewhere between 35 and 50% of uh, product of GDP, manufacturing's mm-hmm. contribution to GDP. Uh this month, Milwaukee is at 59.6, down from 63.6, uh, up from 60.2. So uh, Milwaukee has been doing extraordinarily well, uh, and that translates to companies like Johnson Controls, uh, Harley-Davidson, uh, John Deere, and Caterpillar are in that region. Uh, so uh, the people that are in the big hard goods uh, are are doing uh, are doing quite well right now. Yeah, I see uh, that. The, the other survey sus- that is it sustainable at this level? Uh, I it's ne- when when I see a reading of sixty, Lou, it's never sustainable. Okay. Uh, you, you're either uh, uh, it's like being on an elevator and passing each floor. You're going to pass it on the way up. And you're going to pass it on the <laughs> way down. Uh, right. 
they um, um, really have, uh, uh, again, as I mentioned, 60 represents a 20% month-over-month improvement or decline. Uh, uh, if it if it uh, was was at forty, for instance, if it's ten points below the, the midpoint, so right. uh, trying to sustain that. Uh, actually, I don't think it's good for the economy to do that because it, be, it would become overheated very rapidly, and mm-hmm. that's really mm-hmm. the challenge that we've got right now. Is uh, we really have to have one foot on the gas and one foot on the brake in this kind of environment. If we grow the economy too fast now, uh, we, we run into problems. I'll give you a good example. The uh, index for uh, in, uh, new orders minus inventories is one that I, we've put together and, and promote very highly. Right. Um, and, and that's simply taking the ISM manufacturing new orders index and subtracting the inventories index. Right. Well, this month, new orders outstripped inventory by 17 points. Amazing now, the number. Reality is, the reality is you want inventories to grow. You, you're a business owner. You, know, you, you want to see sure. uh, inventories grow, but not as fast as, um, as new orders, uh, but you still want to see some growth in inventory because it's got to support the business. If new orders are strong, inventory's got to pick up. So we're, we're running the, the risk right now of uh, uh, we, we need to be in more of a replenishment cycle. And so I look for things to kind of cap where they are uh, very close to that and start to flatten out a little bit. And, and that's not bad. That, that's what we expect the economy to, uh, if we want to see a reasonable growth rate, uh, and reasonable right now, in my mind, is three to four percent, and I, I think uh, most economists would uh, uh, would certainly take three to four percent if uh, if we can generate that. Yeah, you know, one of the things that we look at uh, to support your point is that as sales go up, we have to increase our inventory, uh, and when I look at new order increases and I see inventory not keeping up. That usually is a good indicator for our business, which is the metals industry, that I know that new orders for metals are coming in. It's just a question right. of a week, two weeks, three weeks. So I, I look at that number very, uh, very precisely, and we can almost predict what's going to come. Yeah, the, the other inventory number that I like is customer inventories. Right. And uh, cu- customer inventories – uh, is really, uh, you know, if you look at the uh, at the way that the uh, uh, the the, the uh, producers' price index categorizes things, they consider that there are uh, there there are those uh, industries that are dedicated to raw materials or re- refinement of raw materials, those that deal with intermediate goods components and that type of thing and mm-hmm. then finished goods well finished goods are typically getting closer to the end use level it's right. going to wind up on a retailer shelf a distributor shelf 
uh, something along that line. So looking at what customers' inventories are doing is really kind of the ability to look up the supply chain and say, okay, if they're overstocked, my business is going to slow. If they're understocked, then my business is going to pick up. Right. And so I think those two inventory numbers together are quite valuable. Before we get on to uh, a couple of the uh, numbers from uh, Europe, Germany, Eurozone, and the U.K., I'd like to ask you a question regarding uh, a very important issue that's always in the news uh, lately, and that's the uh, skill gap and uh, the lack of uh, uh, skilled labor. And, uh, you know, the, the, uh, uh, the, the term that we keep hearing about bringing jobs back to America. Meanwhile, we have more jobs than we can fill right now. How, how is that going to affect uh, overall, uh, let's say, U.S. numbers in, into the future as you see it? Well, I'm kind of a, a supply side type of uh, economist uh, uh, when you get right down to it. I, I believe if there's a demand, somebody will fill that demand. Right. Uh, it may not happen overnight, but it will happen over time, and uh, people will start to do things. We, we've got some uh, uh, some things that have happened in the supply chain in recent years it's become much more difficult to hire uh, good employees. Mm-hmm. Good employee is one that's bright, one that's interested in the business, one that shows up on time for work. Uh, All right. Those people uh, have become less and less. And, you know, one of the reasons for that is uh, I always contend nobody's raising their children to work third shift. Uh <laughs> They all right. think they're going to. They all think they're going to have a nine-to-five job, uh, five days a week, uh, with an hour and a half for lunch. Uh, <laughs> that's correct. And that's not the. That's not the real world. That's not uh, the white-collar world. Uh, you know, but that's that's what they're looking for. Uh, the other thing, uh, uh, we. Uh, we, we've become very selective about who we'll hire so that large companies, particularly those that are in durable goods and uh, consumables, uh, say, you know, I've got a lot of experience with paper mills, uh, hiring people to go into that environment that, where the safety is a big issue and so on, uh, don't want to hire people that can't pass a drug test and don't want to hire big people issue. that... That's a big uh, issue, Norbert. Uh, and secondly, those that uh, uh, don't have a felony. Right. Uh, and, uh, you know, uh, we have to believe at some point that people can be rehabilitated and have rebuilt, rehabilitated themselves. But even those that get off of the drugs and, and uh, 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 get, uh, get themselves squared away, at some point they have to be uh, given a, a clean bill of health and an opportunity to get back into, into the economy. That alone would make a uh, would make a difference, I think, in the labor force when it comes to skilled labor and people that can learn jobs. Uh, Tim and I, over the last couple of years, have talked uh, quite a bit about the uh, uh, privatizing of uh, the prison system in this country and how faulty that is and how it is not really... Uh, helping uh, 
uh, the incarcerated to come out with suitable training and jobs in the real world. You know, to be teaching a, uh, a prisoner on t- how to sew an apron uh, is not really going to help because that means he's going to have to get a job in Thailand, and uh, right. they're not teach- <laughs> they're not really teaching them the new technology uh, that is ex- existing and growing in this country. So we we're very much aware of it, and uh, the fact that the uh, the government has turned over uh, the the prison system to a private enterprise. Really, is in my opinion, from everything that we've learned, has not been real constructive, and uh, is probably a detriment to our workforce. Yeah, what, what concerns me is when when our choices are a poor uh, privatized system or a poor government system. Uh, uh, to me, it's a good opportunity it's for, for somebody that manages a supply chain uh, yeah, right. to come in and establish the right incentives. But whether it's public or private, uh, I don't think really matters. It's, it's do the right incentives exist? Do the right resources exist? And if you apply those things to it, then why can't you get a good result? Uh, I agree. I agree with you 110%. So that being said, let's uh, give a little talk about what's going on in Germany. They got some very strong numbers going on there. Uh, Germany came in at 62.5, was uh, once again leading the Eurozone. Uh, Frankly, Germany, the Netherlands, and Austria have all been above 60 uh, this month. And uh, very, very strong reading. Uh, Germany. you know they don't let their politics interfere with their business, and so <laughs> we should take global, a lesson from it. <laughs> uh, we really should. We really right. should, um, because there's a, a real benefit to to being. Ger- the Germans are world traders, and they know how to make products that people want, uh, and they they uh, they do a really good job with that. I bought a lot of equipment from Germany. When there was no American equal, there wasn't even a, a close, let alone equal, right. uh, to to what they produce. So uh, that, that that that's going to continue to be the case. Uh, mm-hmm. That they're going to supply an awful lot of um, export product. The UK is uh, doing uh, fairly well uh, in in view of uh, some of their geo. Uh, political issues and local issues and uh, terrorist issues and so on. And they seem to be doing uh, quite well. Yeah, uh, since Brexit, they've been averaging uh, uh, new highs uh, in terms of their average for the last 15 or 16 months. All right. Two months ago, they set a 40-month high for employment. And uh, all the employment problems we have, the U.K. has them uh, as as much as we do and, and maybe even more. Uh, mm-hmm. So uh, they've been able to pick that up. Uh, at least in the data that I look at, it would be hard to make a case that uh, the U.K. is any worse off because of Brexit. Long-term, right, uh, right. Long, long term, that might be the case. I don't think it will. I, I think uh, – uh, the U.K. was fortunate in that uh, uh, 
they held on to sterling and mm-hmm. keeping their own currency allowed them autonomy that uh, you know if uh, Spain or Italy uh, talk about exiting the the uh, EU uh, they don't have their currencies anymore France right. uh, so right. uh, trying to value their economy is very very difficult whereas uh, uh, the UK has e- easy ability to post prices mm-hmm uh, Norbert, being that I've been doing a good part of the talking and taking some of your uh, spotlight here, and uh, Tim isn't here to uh, uh, hold me back, uh, before we end this segment, are, are there any things that uh, I, we've left out, I've left out, and didn't let you talk about? Well, I, I think, uh, one, the story for right now is very good. Uh, a lot of strength in the economy. The stock market's doing well. Manufacturing's uh, strong. We're seeing growth in jobs, manufacturing jobs. Uh, manufacturing's never going to be the huge employer that it once was. But sure. it's important that manufacturing hold on to about 12% of the economy. Uh, right. And it's doing that. And with 30,000 jobs, uh, manufacturing, uh, by my view, needs to grow about 25,000 jobs a month if uh, if we're going to stay right. aggressive. And last it. month we were at 30, so right. uh, certainly a, a good opportunity to be there. Uh, the other thing is, and I, I think you've had some discussion about the ISM came out Monday with their semiannual forecast. And right. uh, that, too, was positive in terms of uh, I'm always concerned about capital expenditure expenditures and companies have gotten to where they're putting more and more uh, money into their capital base uh, because they see that there's there's going to be a need for it and they're investing in their businesses and uh, they haven't done this in 10 or 12 years so uh, that alone is going to continue to uh, to stimulate economic growth then when you combine what Europe is doing and what Asia is doing we ought to see this continue to go if um, the, the powers that be don't screw it up. And, uh, <laughs> and the powers are the White House, the Fed, uh, foreign trade, uh, our relationships with other countries. All of those things right now are much more of a concern just simply because uh, we, we are in the midst of a growth cycle and uh, we'd like to stay in that as long as we possibly can. Well, to your point, and and I like the word that you use, cycle. So not to get political, however, do you feel that what's happening right now uh, is more cyclical or more political? Um, uh, (laughs) I I, I truly believe that, that, uh, that it's a combination of the two. Uh, we have things that are happening that wouldn't happen without uh, the support of uh, the Small Business Administration, the Department Certainly. of State, all of those. Uh, they're all uh, doing a, a great job. Uh, 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 we, we should continue to benefit from that. Uh, so I, I kind of see it as both. But it is uh, at, at, uh, at the end of the day, it is a cycle. And, uh, as you know, it's kind of like the old uh, axiom that I know you're familiar with is the cure for high prices is high prices, and the cure for low prices is low prices. 
Uh, well said. And so the cure for growth or the way to continue growth is to continue to support the right part of the cycle. Uh, Norbert, well said. I wish you a good holiday. I thank you for your uh, uh, well-spoken uh, input into what's going on, not only here in the United States, but around the world. And uh, again, wish you a good holiday, and I appreciate you being on our show, and we'll talk to you next month. Thank you, and my best to everybody at Manufacturing Talk Radio. Uh, take care. Thank you very much. You take care now. Bye-bye. Well, that was great, great information from uh, Chad Moutre and Norbert Orr. Uh, that completes uh, part one. Uh, and uh, you can click on to part two, the second player uh, on your screen. But uh, I do want to talk about um, uh, Manufacturing Talk Radio's year-end wrap-up show that uh, Tim and I do uh, every year. And uh, we kind of go loosey-goosey, and we talk about everything uh, weird and funny that happened over the year, what what went well, what didn't go well, what's going to go well next year. Uh, So we have a a lot of things to talk about. We did, I don't know, about uh, 55 or 60 shows, so we're going to take the best of, and we're going to talk about it. Uh, So that's next week's show. In addition, let's not forget, and for those of you who don't remember, we do have our new show, Wham! Women and Manufacturing. And their next week's show is with Leah Curry, who is president of Toyota Motor Manufacturing in West Virginia. She's going to be interviewed by one of our regular uh, women hosts, Jennifer McNeely from 180 Skills. She's done a couple of shows with us already, and she's terrific. Um, And uh, having Toyota president, I'm sure she's going to be able to tell us wonderful things on how she managed to get to where she is. And uh, it's uh, it's great to see that happening. So that is uh, where we're at. That kind of wraps up part one. Stay tuned for part two. Just click on the second player and you'll hear our interview with Royce Lowe and Chung Wang, who are our correspondents overseas. Thanks for listening to part one on Manufacturing Talk Radio. This podcast is a part of the C-Suite Radio Network. For more top business podcasts, visit c-suiteradio.com.